Welcome to Business of Design. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. The Business of Design podcast offers immediate, actionable strategies and a glimpse into some of the many field-tested, proven systems you can implement to transform your business and your life. After the show, head to businessofdesign.com and get started with the BOD 15-step project management strategy and six foundational programs. Together, they deliver the systems, procedures, and strategies you need to run a successful, highly profitable design business. There's no theory here. The complete BOD business model is yours through Business of Design membership. Business of Design. There's only one. And now, your BOD Advocate-in-Chief, Kimberly Selden. that time again. It's Business of Design. I'm really glad you're here. I'm Kimberly Selden, an interior design professional like you. And I just had the best conversation with someone I never met before, Jessica Lackey. Jessica is a strategy and operations advisor. She bridges the gap between traditional business practices, which we all need, and sustainable businesses. And she has a human-centric approach. And we are talking about integrity, capital I integrity, around your culture, your process, your system, and how you care for your business as a whole. Jessica's background is in blue chip corporate leadership. She was with McKinsey and Company Consulting and... She has a Harvard business degree, which I got to say, I'm pretty impressed with. That sounds that sounds like a big deal to me. And she says she knows what it's like to be pigeonholed into a hustle culture and judging success only by the bottom line. And while I think most of us would say we don't judge success only by the bottom line, I think I could cop to, um, at least initially when I started my business, really buying into the hustle culture. And that took a big toll on my team. And spoiler alert, the answer is systems and process and operations manuals and all the things that make me so excited now, which I used to avoid. Jessica has lots of great information for us. You can find her at jessicalackey.com or on Instagram at jessicalackey underscore consulting. All of that information will also be in the show notes. I also want to say her design intervention is one of my favorites. I'm not going to give it away, but it's so good. I'm going to need another tattoo. That's what happens. I get this great advice on this podcast. And every few episodes, I think I should put that on my body. That should be a tattoo. This is another one of those episodes. Some quick announcements and we'll get right into the show. Thanks, Kimberly. I will definitely do my best to try and keep this quick. Uh, last week on BOD Live, we talked about custom lighting with two Business of Design members, Genevieve Wild and Michelle Burbage. And that recording is live within the member dashboard. So if you weren't able to join us last week, please make sure that you check that out. And we are into October now, which means we have like a whole month of BOD 15 coming up. And we actually get started tomorrow, October 4th, with the BOD Live two-day intensive in Toronto. After that, we are off to Santa Monica. And at the end of the month, we are in Winchester. For those in the DC area, we do still have spots available in Winchester. So please head to the website and get your tickets if you are still interested in joining us there. Uh, Complete details, as always, are on the website. Later this month for our next BOD Live happening October 18th, we're talking about logging billable hours. So if you are a member, please check out the program Getting Paid. That talks about not only logging your hours, but also invoicing your clients and our collection policy for making sure that you get paid 
on time and you don't have to chase clients for money. But that all kicks off with the Logging Billable Hours course. And that's the one that we want to focus on this month because that usually is the hang up for clients if you are going to get questioned about your billable hours. So come prepared with log sheets. When was the last time your hours were questioned by a client? Was there a specific task that uh, they questioned maybe because of the way it was worded? Or do you have a really big uh, invoice coming up for a client and there's a few tasks that you're just not sure how to phrase uh, and you want some help with that? So bring your actual, you know, billable hours uh, with you to that meeting and we will weigh in. So a little bit of homework there. Again, that's happening October 18th. Uh, all of this is on the calendar at businessofdesign.com. Thanks so much. Really nice to have this conversation. I was really um, anticipating this because one of my favorite topics is integrity. I really believe it's integrity can be expensive. Um, but it's the only way I want to operate. I have to always be um, managing that integrity, making sure I'm treating my clients with respect and, you know, charging them in a transparent fashion and all of that. But the topic we're going to talk about is is a little bit broader. It's about honoring the integrity around your entire culture, your entire corporate culture, which I think is just amazing. And how did you come to thinking that would be an important topic? I bet there's a story there. Well, my background is I worked in corporate America for a very long time where it's all about the numbers. It's all about profit before the team members. We're seeing that right now in the tech industry with so many layoffs. And I saw some of those bad practices replicated in entrepreneurship. Right. And I think it's an important conversation we need to be having about the collective well-being of not just ourselves as business owners, but our teams, our clients, our contractors, our community. It's really important. What is the cost, do you think, of ignoring... Um... I'm going to call it balance, although I think balance is is a myth. You can't really have balance. You work a lot of hours and you sleep a lot of hours and there's not as much time left over to do other things. So equilibrium, what is the cost when you're out of that kind of equilibrium? Yeah, it really varies, but I'll give you an example. Um, If you take on too many jobs at a time and you're not giving transparent timelines to your trades and they're having to work kind of at the last minute or on varying timelines, the best tradespeople aren't going to want to stay with you because you're not paying on time. You're giving them really weird deadlines and, and not holding true to that. And so those are some of the cost of the best clients won't want to work with you. The best um, contractors and tradespeople won't want to work with you. You'll have a hard time retaining the team. And you can cover that up for a while with money, but that's not how to grow a business with integrity. Have you ever found yourself drowning in a sea of vendor logins, clicking through endless links and trying to keep tabs on all the orders for all your design projects? Well, say hello to Daniel House Club. They're not just any old club. They're founded by fellow designers who get us. They'll provide you with everything you need to manage your design business all in one place. Let Daniel House Club take the order logistics off your hands and handle the hassle. Matt lets you focus on what you do best, which is design beautiful spaces, right? With the industry's lowest trade prices, 
quilting and flat rate shipping, which is awesome, across top vendors like Forehands, Eichholz, and Korean Co., you can take control of your business and increase your bottom line while delivering exceptional value. Join as a Pro Plus member today and get 50% off your membership at danielhouse.club backslash BOD. And because this community is so important to Daniel House Club, they're extending another special offer. Top BOD customers on DHC currently have over $100,000 of furniture on each of their boards. Whether you've been on DHC for years or you're signing up today, add $10,000 worth of goods to your board. That's not a lot, right? And you will be emailed a $100 gift card to use on future orders. Thank you, Daniel House Club. We love that. I'm glad you brought up timelines because often I think when people hear the word integrity, it, it immediately, it means it has something to do with money, like cheating and, you know, being fraudulent with money, or it has something to do with a moral compass. But it's also just about being your word and being true to your word and and honoring, um, you know, making sure you're honoring the people around you, I guess. And, that, and that's the timeline conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think when we hire designers as clients, we want the right cost, the right quality, the right brand aesthetic and delivered on time. You know, if you're out of the kitchen for 12, you know, for three months and you thought it was going to be two, that has an impact on the quality of life of your clients. So, um, how are we thinking about the broader perspective of integrity beyond just not cheating or stealing? Right. So is it just fear that, that gets in the way? Like I'm afraid to tell the clients they're going to be out of their kitchen for four months. So I'll say two and a half months and then we'll deal with the rest later. Do you think, do you, or do you think there's something bigger at play? Is it just Some- com- common variety fear? Sometimes I think it's fear, but also I think there's this push for, more revenue, more profit. And that can lead us to taking shortcuts, taking on too many jobs at a time, not having systems and processes, which I know anyone in your coaching programs is going to have those systems and processes. But by taking on too much, thinking that you'll raise the bottom line of your business, it can have those downstream effects where if things aren't managed properly, timelines can slip, communication doesn't happen. So sometimes it's upfront not wanting to tell the client how long it's really going to take, how long it's really going to cost or how much it really might cost. But sometimes it's in the management of the projects, um, not having processes around maintaining that or taking on too many at once. Your background, you said, um, and, and I read your impressive um your impressive bio, you, you've worked with a lot of big corporate organizations. What can small entrepreneurs learn? And I say small, just in the sense, small in terms of the number of people that they have on their team, the, their employee team. Uh, what can small entrepreneurs learn from, from what you saw in that world? Well, I think really what we can learn from this world is that um, there's good business practices and bad business practices, but that's, you don't have to be quote unquote, a big business to have really sustainable processes. Um, That's not like, oh, I need to go to business school. I need to work to a big company um, because I'll tell you that those big companies don't have processes that put people first that are clear with timelines. So 
actually as a small business, you can be more nimble and building those systems, building that transparency across all those facets that actually um, the big companies can't do because there's so many people. There's probably an advantage for some people working for those big companies because there's a level of anonymity. But if you're working for a smaller company, there's a level of, you know, we're all in this together. It's it's a bit more of a, you know, family family culture or everybody on the rock and roll bus, depending on the way you're running your business, right? Yeah. And it all, you know, the buck stops with the business owner. Like this is, you know, you're not just working for a big company. You're, you're your brand. You're, your word is your bond and um, the quality of the the work you're going to be able to do and like the relationships you have with your clients, the number of referrals you're going to be able to get is really based on how your brand shows up across all aspects of the jobs you do and looking at making sure we're maintaining quality and not sacrificing um, poor materials for more money in the pocket. Those are the type of decisions that maybe bigger businesses can't make because they really are held to the expectations of Wall Street. But as a small business, you get to decide what are the principles that you want to stand by in how you work with your clients. I'm glad you brought up systems and process because while that's obvious, I think, to most of our listeners now that you need those things in order to run the job, it's also true that you need those things in order to have um, team members, staff members, or, or independent contractors stay with you for any length of time. And one example I think of is when I had a big, I had a big team at one point, 13 designers, and that's big in the interior design world for a residential company. Anyway, it's not nothing compared to a corporate, you know, size company, but anyway, there are 13 designers and every like November, October, November, somebody would come to me and say, Hey, Kimberly, what, what are we, what are our days off for the holidays? And I'd be like, Oh my God, I'm like crazy busy. Are you kidding? Why would you even bring that up right now? Like, I, I don't know, like Christmas, you know, Christmas Eve, I don't know, Boxing Day, whatever. Well, later, later. And this happened for years. I was constantly getting like annoyed that they would ask this question. Oh my gosh, they're just trying to plan their holidays. Can I go see my grandma who lives, you know, five hours away? And I sat down one day and thought, this is crazy. I need to treat my employees, my team, like I treat my clients. I need to anticipate what they need from me. And I need to answer their questions before they ask them. The best thing I ever did for myself was just figure out a holiday policy. Every holiday, these are the days you have off, you know, and this is how it works. And then every year after when they say, what, what's the, you know, what, when are we off for the holidays? I'd say, open the operations manual. It's right there. It's all done. No more fighting. <laughs> I love the fact that you talked about an operations manual because especially when you're bringing on part-time employees or contractors, you think, or it can't you can think that oh they don't need kind of an operations manual it's a at will contractor type job but that having that manual of what are your benefits policies what's your sick policy what's your hr policies um how do you communicate all of that sets the right foundation for people to know this is who I'm in business with this is when I'm expected to answer emails or answer text messages and how we make manage. And that's what sets culture to keep your entire team in really engaged and really doing their best work in a way that honors the work-life balance and the boundaries of your teammates. And I think that it can be easy to 
neglect that and you're like, I'm trying to get my work done. I'm trying to get answers and, you know, sending emails at nine, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. That means your team member is going to wake up and be like, oh my God, I missed these emails. You know, they're going to feel, or maybe they're checking their emails at nine o'clock at night. It sets really, you know, really challenging expectations for your team members. So I think even if you're just starting with part-time team members, having those guidelines and boundaries in place is really helpful for establishing cultural norms that will grow with you as you build, as you build your business. Mm. And I found that pre-operations manual, I couldn't keep staff very long. I had like a rotating door of people and they were always lovely and they never quit saying, I hate you. They always quit saying, I feel really bad because you've been so nice. And, but I just can't do this. This is too hard. I can't do it. You know, I don't, I just don't know how to make you happy. And I always say, I'm, well, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm just, you know, it's just too busy. But, and then once I started writing the process down, no one left. Everybody stayed. I never had anybody quit anymore. Um, I had them go on maternity leave and look at the, look up the process for, look up the, you know, the, the outline of what our policies are around maternity leave. And then they come back and it was like, wow, this, this actually works. Right. And everybody feels better. Yeah. And it'll it'll work with your contractors and tradespeople too. Do you have a standard onboarding guide for a new vendor that you're going to work with or how you invoice, how you get their information? What's the process to make working with you seamless? When are they going to get paid? All of those um, policies and procedures sound like boring, dry things you don't want to think about, but that's important in maintaining a great relationship with the highest quality people that you can work with both on your team and an extension of your team in the design world. Absolutely. I love, we pay really quickly. We've actually had vendors and uh, suppliers say to us, oh my gosh, you know, you could have, you could have waited to the end of the month. I'm like, no, we're, we're on it. We like to get, we, you know, we know what it's like to not get paid. So we'll make sure that you get paid quickly. I never really thought of that as being part of integrity, capital I integrity. So I've worked in big organizations and one of the ways they manage their cash to look good at the end of the year for Wall Street is by selectively not paying people on their terms. And that's just awful feeling. And while a big organization can maybe get away with it, you know, cash flow management is number one priority for small business owners. And you could play games with paying invoices and delaying things, but that's just not going to make people want to work with you anymore. Right. I've actually have have the experience of working with a big corporation that pays in that manner. And it's really hateful. And they frequently make a mistake and you didn't get paid and you have to go back and you start the process. And then it's another 90 days. I mean, it can be six months until you get paid for work you did, you know, six months ago. That's just, it's hateful. It's really hateful. Yeah. And so having... Stepping back to say, before I take on another job, before I try to continue growing my business or bringing on teams, do I have these systems and processes in place so that I can operate seamlessly? People want to work with me. People want to be on my team. And that's inevitably going to lead to a better experience for your clients because that's ultimately you know, what keeps the business coming in the door. How do you, because I know this is part of what you talk about, Jessica, how do you figure out then how not to 
be so overwhelmed? You can't manage the business you have. Is there a sweet spot for the employer and or for the you know business owner? And how do they figure out how to get into that sweet spot? I think there's different thresholds. You know, when you're going to bring on your first employee, um, when you're going to bring on your first design assistant, because sometimes the employee you bring on the first time might be more of like an administrative employee. Um, then you're probably going to take on more jobs and start to then uh, go up the scale. And maybe you're going to hire a more senior designer, um, someone or a project manager. And it's at those thresholds and, and, and checkpoints to say, um, what next do I need? What next do, what, what pr- processes, what systems do I need to bring on to make sure that I can take these jobs on with clarity, that the individuals I want to bring on have clear job descriptions and duties, uh, that we have clear project management systems to manage those jobs. So it's it's like on the edge of feeling overwhelmed is the t- point in time where you need to stay, step back and say, what's the what's the the burning platform that I need to address in my business right now? So we don't want to design for having um, you know too many employees at the at the get go. It's like we we can build the plane as we're flying the plane, but it's at that edge of overwhelm where the Time of the day goes faster than you you can think of. You know you're going to need to hire that next person or expand that team. That's when we start thinking about, okay, what if this needs to be systematized? What needs to be given process? Um, and how do we kind of hold at that threshold point for a period of time while we get that that put together? And programs like yours are great for guiding them through, so they don't have to figure it out themselves. They can learn, they can, you know, learn from trusted experts and have tools and templates to not have to start from scratch. Oh, thank you. That's nice. But it, is the solution, um, is the solution always growing? I wonder, it sounds like you would, you might think something different. I do. I think it's, it's not always growing. Um, at a po- certain point in time, you're, especially when I think about designers, the core of what you do is the design, and it might be some sourcing of product. At some point in time, you're going to there are going to be too many jobs that uh, to if you want to continue growing, you might have to give up some of that design control, and that's a choice that not every designer should make, um, because then at that point you move to a role of training other designers and leading a design fully leading a design company versus doing the craft of design. Um, it doesn't necessarily make more money right out of the get-go. And you may choose to say, no, I'm going to hold at a certain level of um, business size because it's the sweet spot of profit, of creative control, um, of staying in the role that you want to be in your business. Some people want to have their brand you know, designs everywhere. And some people say, I want to take on a, a, a solid number of jobs and get to do the work I love, which is design. Yeah, good point. Absolutely good point. Jessica, how can people work with you? I work with uh, small business owners, including interior design firms, as what I call their small business co-pilot. So as you're looking at the next stage of growth, deciding whether or not that's the right step for you, thinking about the systems and processes you might need to take that uh, that next step or be more sustainable where you're at. Um, I bridge the gap between the kind of technical experts on the team and the, the visionary CEO to put those strategies, those processes, those systems together, um, looking at the finances. 
I, I love that. That's great. And um, tell us uh, your website, Insta, all that. Yeah. The best place to find me online is jessicalackey.com slash welcome. It has all the links to my Instagram, LinkedIn, and a link to my newsletter. And we're going to have that at Business of Design as well in the show notes. Jessica, we love to end every episode with something we call design intervention, which is just a great piece of business advice. Yeah. The great piece of business advice is this or something better. So we set goals and have visions based on what we know today. But as we move forward, we're going to create more than we could have potentially imagined. So how do we let go of the specific outcome we thought we wanted and be open to what the universe provides for us? This and something better. I don't think I've ever heard that before. I love that. So give us an example, like you're setting a goal in your business and you say to yourself, this and something, this or something better. What does that look like? When I started my business, I thought I wanted to be a consultant or a project manager. I had no idea that I would be the small business co-pilot for um, the businesses that I work with, being their strategic partner. That was not a job description that I thought. But I said, I want to work with these types of companies. I want to do this type of work. And it's evolved into something that I never could have pictured doing. And it's the best decision I've ever made. So it's about keeping the end goal a bit open for for possibility you didn't think about. Right. You know, as you step forward into the unknown of tackling a, a business goal, more possibilities enter because you've changed as a human being and you've changed what you're looking for. And so if we tether to the number we set for the year, the specific goals we set, we we lose that potential for, um, for example, you could say, well, I want to take on five jobs this year. Well, what if one amazing, huge job comes in and is much more exciting than the five you thought about? How do we detach from the specific and right. hold fast to the intention? I love that. This or something better. Off the top of the show, um, and I do this often if you you hear it sometimes on the show where I'll say, what did you have for breakfast? So we can check the sound levels. And Jessica and I hadn't eaten yet, but you said you might have a smoothie. So I'm thinking this morning, are we going to have a smoothie or something better? I don't know. I'm going to be open. We'll go see what's out there in the kitchen. Jessica, this was awesome having this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening and supporting the BOD mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. If you're ready to implement an exact business model for running a streamlined, profitable business, field tested by thousands of design professionals around the world, head to businessofdesign.com and get started today. It's time to dramatically improve your business and transform your life.